Welcome to the Shepherd's Voice with Pastor Johnny Awanyo. This simple, scripturally sound preaching and teaching of the Word of God will direct you to Jesus, the Good Shepherd. Follow the Shepherd's Voice into the green pastures that God has purposed for you. There, you'll find rest for your soul and the fulfilled Christian experience you crave. God bless you as you listen. Praise the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. God bless you all and thank you for being part of tonight's times of impartation. Anytime we meet like this in the house of God, in the presence of God, God has an intention. His intention is to deposit something great, something profound in our hearts. And I pray that tonight you'll be able to receive and assess everything that God has prepared for you. Can I have an amen of agreement? And if you're watching as well, you know, I was commenting to somebody that virtual services, if you like, are a necessary evil in the sense that God never intended that a virtual service should take the place of believers physically gathering in a place to receive the word of God. What has greatly projected these virtual services, I guess, was the pandemic. But I think that there are a lot of Christians who have become so used to staying in their living room, in their kitchen, in their bathroom, and joining in the service. Now, obviously, there are some people who cannot be physically present all the time. And virtual services help us to connect with ministries and men of God who are not in our city, who are not in our town. So it is not an evil thing. But I'm saying to you that it must not take the place of physically showing up in the house of God, especially if you can be there. That's a very important thing. And if you cannot be physically present, it is up to you to discipline yourself as you join in the service virtually to make sure that you are properly connected, you are in a spiritual mood. It's not that you are frying pancake and kelewele and sausages and as I am standing here having eaten and I'm ministering, you are chewing yam chips with lizard what do you call that thing again? Gizzard in your living room that ain't right so please find somewhere to park that plate of lizard gizzard with plantain chips or yam chips and focus on the word of God and focus on what we are about to do. Thankfully, our service is not a very long, dragging service. And in about less than an hour, we should be out of here. So please connect well. And I want you to understand that the Holy Spirit can be with you right where you are. But that doesn't nullify what I said from the beginning. That virtual services are not intended to take the place of physically gathering and assembling of ourselves together in the house of the Lord. Can I have a loud amen, amen. from people who are not angry and bored with me? Let, those of you in your room, those of you in your room that you are watching me, let me hear you say a loud amen. amen. Hallelujah. Let us pray. Thank you, Father, for tonight. We ask that you speak to us and you touch our lives. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. God bless you. Please take your seats. We're going to continue studying about the parables of Jesus. And I, I think that I'm going to continue doing this till the end of this month. Because the parables are so many. And um, there are a lot of very important truths to learn from these parables that Jesus shared. Parables are illustrations. And 
they help us to understand certain deep spiritual truths that are being shared with us or transmitted to us. And Jesus Christ used parables in many of his teachings. Although it wasn't his style from the very beginning of his earthly ministry, it got to a point because of his haters and adversaries, he had to talk in a certain way in order not to give them ammunition to use against him. So there were some of the parables that were hidden, if you like. And later on, when he was with his disciples, he would take time and explain the parables to them. And he informed them that it is, it's been prepared for them or it is for them to understand the, the truths of the kingdom. But not for those people who have a certain hardened heart and a bad attitude towards God, towards the Son of God, towards the teachings of Christ. Hallelujah. And so, there are many parables. And today, I want to share with you, well, arguably, the most um, popular of the parables of Jesus, which is the parable. Which one do you think is the most popular? Lazarus and the rich man. What? The prodigal son. Okay. Yeah, that's why I said arguably. But I'm going to share with you the parable of the good Samaritan. <laughs> the parable of the good Samaritan. Turn your Bibles with me, please, to the gospel according to St. Luke. Chapter 10. And we're reading from verse 25. We're going to read all the way through to verse 37. And as usual, I'm reading from the New Living Translation of the Bible. Luke chapter 10. I read. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, but who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And he was attacked by bandits or armed robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there. So a temple assistant is referring to a Levite. A Levite. Now, what you have to understand is that out of the 12 tribes of Israel, one tribe was dedicated to the service of God and to service in the temple. This was the tribe of Levi. Now, out of this tribe, there was a special group who were only allowed to be priests. That is, those who came from Aaron, who was a son of Levi. So it is only if you are from Aaron's line that you can become a priest. But anybody else from the tribe of Levi was devoted to temple service. So they became the Levites. And what they used to do was to assist in the temple. They would assist the priest. They would become temple security guards. They would help with the cleaning of the temple and making sure that everything was alright. So these were the two categories of 
servants you find in the house of God. Those who were priests and those who were Levites. Hallelujah. Have I helped you to understand something that you didn't know before? All right. It says, a temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged him. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Show me the King James version of that, that verse, verse 37, King James. Verse 36, actually. All right, verse 37. All right, that's okay. Go back to New Living Translation. I was thinking of something else. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Hallelujah. Let me start off by making this very clear to you. And it may be something that you didn't know. It may be that it is something you have believed all along. But that is the reason why I'm teaching you about the parables of Jesus. I want you to understand that the parable of the Good Samaritan is not just a parable to encourage us to help those in need. That's not, that's not the essence of the parable. It's easy to think when you read it that we are being exhorted to help those who are in need. But that is not the central decisive point of that parable. The parable of the Good Samaritan is not a parable teaching us to help those who are less privileged in the society. That's not, that's, that's not the essence of that parable. It's a good thing to help the less fortunate. It's a good thing to help people who are in trouble. But that is not the main essence of it. The parable of the good Samaritan is not teaching us to be kind to strangers. That's not the whole essence of it. That's not the main essence of it. Are we expected to be kind to strangers? Yes, we are. But when you read the parable of the Good Samaritan, do not think that any of these things that I have said are the main lessons or the central themes of this parable. There is more to it than that. And I have taught you, ladies and gentlemen, that anytime you read any of the parables of Jesus, it is important to identify what the central decisive point is. If you miss that, you have missed what Jesus was trying to portray by that parable. So then it raises the question of what is the central decisive point of this parable? Write it down. The central decisive point of this parable of the Good Samaritan is this. All of us fall short of what God's law demands of us. All of us fall short of what God's law demands of us. All of us fall short 
of what God's law demands of us. Then write this also. All our good works and best efforts do not meet God's standards. All our good works and best efforts do not meet God's standards. And then write this. And eternal life can only be received by accepting this. And eternal life can only be received by accepting this. So to go back, all of us fall short of what God's law demands of us. All our good works and best efforts do not meet God's standards. And eternal life can only be received by accepting this. Accepting what? Accepting that we all fall short of God's demands on us and all our best efforts and earnest attempts to do what God says we should do. Do not meet God's standard. So eternal life can only be received by accepting this. Finally, and there's the last part of it. So eternal life can only be received by accepting this and trusting in Jesus. And trusting in Jesus who is the fulfillment of the law. And trusting in Jesus who is the fulfillment of the law. So when you put it together, the central decisive point of the parable of the good Samaritan is that all of us fall short of what God's law demands of us. All our good works and best efforts do not meet God's standards. And eternal life can only be received by accepting this and by trusting in Jesus who is the fulfillment of the law. So this summarizes for us what the parable of the good Samaritan is about. And as I press on to talk about it, you will understand why this is the central decisive point of the parable. Hallelujah. Alright. So let's take it from the beginning from verse 25 of Luke chapter 10. It says, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Now, the Bible reveals here that this expert of the religious law who belonged to a group of Pharisees and self-righteous religious leaders did not have a good motive in the question he asked Jesus. How do I know? Because the Bible says he stood up to test him. It was a trap. He wanted Jesus to say something that he could take him up on. Now, another version calls him a lawyer. And lawyers like to argue things out. So he had a certain mindset and he wanted to put Jesus on the spot. And he wanted to pounce on something that Jesus would say in answer to this question and then use it to embarrass him or to make him look ridiculous and to let the people feel that he's not as bare as he seems to be. So it was a test. And it was out of an evil motive. And that is why he asked that question. I think I've told you before that it's not every discussion that you should accept an invitation to. Alright? And I, I also want to add this, that there are some conversations when they start, you should know that this thing is a trap. And you have to be on high alert 
and be very careful what you say if you even want to say something sometimes it's best if you don't say anything and you just move away because this guy was seeking to trap jesus and it was a test but you know even though his motive was evil and his intentions were bad the question that he asked was a very 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 important question and in some of our earlier teachings on the parables of jesus this question has come up before as a matter of fact this question of eternal life is a very very important subject in the bible there were different people who came to jesus to try and find out from him the secret to eternal life when nicodemus went to see jesus quietly and privately this was the question he wanted an answer to when jesus so this is in john chapter 3 then in john chapter 4 when jesus encountered the samaritan woman it became one of the things he spoke about when he said to her that anybody who drinks water from this well will thirst again but anybody who drinks the water that i will give to him or her that water will never thirst again and that water will be like a fountain of life and that it will spring up into eternal life so jesus spoke about eternal and jesus spoke a lot about eternal life during his earthly ministry and it's no surprise because it is the central theme of the gospel and the gospel refers to the good news of salvation and that is what it is about so the bible reveals to us again from john chapter 3 that for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life or eternal life you would also remember when he said to martha in john chapter 11 i am the resurrection and the life he that believes in me will never die and if he dies even if he dies he will live again jesus was talking about eternal life and so this question that the religious expert asked was a very legitimate question and i believe that it was a question that many of the jews of his time <coughs> excuse me used to wonder about and used to think about and used to ponder on that this eternal life cry how can we really get it anyway we continue so he asked an important question teacher what should i do to inherit eternal life and jesus replied what does the law of moses say how do you read it so jesus wanted to find out from him what he knew and because he was uh, an expert of the religious law jesus was expecting that he will have the answer and yes he did he had the answer so then what he did was to quote from two portions of the law first he quoted from deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 and 5 can you give me that it says listen O israel the lord is our god the lord alone verse 5 and you must love the lord your god with all your heart all your soul and all your strength this scripture is a scripture that is read every day in the temple the scripture and what i mean is that in a, in a typical jewish temple this scripture is read every day and whenever and whenever i hope you're not giving me a cold one it's cold open and give me warm open see but that one too is also cold
Thank you. Excuse me. Where was I? Yeah, so I was saying that in a typical Jewish setting, like whenever they meet to fellowship and all of that, this scripture is something that they quote all the time. So a, a typical Jew knows this scripture by heart and quotes it all the time. So this was what the religious experts quoted. And then he also quoted Leviticus 19 verse 18. Let's look at Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18. It says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite. But love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. But love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So, in answering Jesus' question, this aspect of religious law quoted these two scriptures. Amen. Are you here or have gone home? All right. Now, and Jesus commended him. He said, right. That means correct for 10 points. You know? And then he told him, do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. You know, after Jesus said this to him, this man asked a question. But the question that he asked was a wrong question. Actually, the question that he asked was another effort on his part to set Jesus up. Because from the beginning, the Bible says he wanted to test him. But from the reply that Jesus gave him, what he should have asked or what he should have commented and what he should have said to Jesus should have been this. I'm trying. <laughs> I'm doing everything that I can to obey the law. But I'm not successful. It's not working. I don't get it all right. I miss it sometimes. This should have been his response. Because you see, according to the law, the law was supposed to give life. But for the law, or for the observance of the law to lead you into life, you must obey everything. And it just wasn't possible. So much so that if you obey uh, the, the laws of Moses are more than 600 and something. If you obey 599 and you falter in one, you failed. Which means that you cannot have eternal life. That's how serious it was. And that is what James was referring to. Not this James. James chapter 2 verse 10. It says, for the person who keeps all of the laws except one. Is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. If you miss just one. And it is not possible. To obey all. And this was the problem with the law. You see the summary. That this expert of the religious law gave to Jesus. Of the commandments of God was actually a very accurate summary. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your might, 
and then love your neighbor as yourself. These two laws are the summary of all the laws that God gave to Moses for his people. Now, all the laws are summarized by the Ten Commandments. And if you look carefully at the Ten Commandments, Commandment 1 to 4 have to do with this first one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And then Commandment 6 to 10, I mean 5 to 10, had to do with love your neighbor as yourself. So that is the summary. And you remember that in Matthew 22, I believe, when a young man came to ask Jesus, this same question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answered, I shall love the Lord. So Jesus told him that, no, no, he asked him that, what, are, what is the greatest commandment? That's what the person asked. What is the greatest commandment? And Jesus quoted these two scriptures to him. So that is the summary of it. But the problem is this. Now let me ask you. If this is what is supposed to give us life, ask yourself, do I love God with all my heart? With all my soul? With all my strength? With all my might? What is the answer? It's not a rhetoric question. I need an answer from you. What is the answer? You are trying. That is a very political answer. That's the kind of answer that a politician will give. But you see, I don't want you to behave like this expert of the religious law. So I'm going to ask you the question again. I said, do you love God? With all your heart. And, and listen to the words that I'm using. With all your heart. With all your soul. Where your soul has to do with like your will. Your emotions. This morning when we were praying. I raised this issue. That one of the prayers that you don't find a lot of people praying about. During all these prayer meetings that are all over the place. Is praying that the will of God be done. You don't, you, don't, you don't hear it. A lot of our prayers are about what we want. What will make us comfortable. What will make us have a good life. What will put us at ease. So when you monitor a lot of the prayers that we pray. That's the direction that the prayer flows in. So when you even raise the issue of our will. Because our soul has to do with our will, has to do with our emotions, has to do with our intellect. Question, do we love God with all our soul? Then what about your strength? Can we sincerely say that we love God with all our strength? And can we say that we love God with all our mind? So I'm asking you again, what is the answer? The answer is no. So you can see that we are in very serious trouble. If this is what will lead us into eternal life. Then the second one. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Can you look into my two ever eyes? And tell me that you love your neighbor as yourself. I can't say that. Can you? No. I mean, the way you like yourself, the way you feel for yourself, the way you want things for yourself, is that exactly the same way you want it for your neighbor? The answer is no. And so, if it is only by fulfilling or obeying these two greatest commandments that you can have eternal life, then there is no one. And I'm saying it again. 
absolutely no one who can make it. That's how serious it is. And that is why the right response that this expert should have given to Jesus would have been to say, Lord, it's not working. And that would have been a sincere answer. He should have said what that man said. He said, we are trying. He should have said, I am trying. But it is not working. I don't get it right all the time. I fail all the time. That should have been his response. But that was not his response. His response, the Bible says, was to justify himself. And the the Bible says in verse 29 that the man wanted to justify his actions. Why did the Bible say this? Because you see, remember that I told you that he was trying to set up Jesus. So he wasn't a sincere fellow. But his problem is the problem that many of the Pharisees and the religious leaders of his time Many of them had this problem. Which was a problem of self-righteousness. Which was a problem of they thinking that they were very good. They were very righteous. They were doing everything that God said they should do. And so they looked down on others and despised them. Jesus spoke about them in Luke chapter 18 and verse 9. Look at Luke chapter 18 verse 9. Now, this is what preceded. Here, Jesus was going to talk about the parable of the Pharisee and the publican or the tax collector. The Bible says in verse 9 of Luke 18, Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. They looked down on everybody else and they thought that they were righteous, they were good, they were correct, they never got it wrong, they were obeying all of God's instructions, they were people whom God was very pleased with. That was how they were. And this expert in the religious law, that was exactly how he was. And that's why he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus the question, ah, but who is my neighbor? He was trying to trap him. Because you see, they, the leaders of the religious law and the Pharisees, had twisted the law to satisfy them. In other words, they had taken the things that God had said and turned them into something else so that they could be justified. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 to 44, let me show you something. Matthew 5, 43 to 44. Matthew 5, 43 to 44. It says, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and do what? There, there was no law like that. This and hate your neighbor was inserted by the religious leaders of those times to justify themselves. So then, it was a way of freeing them from the responsibility of loving everybody. So if you reframe the law that says love your neighbor as yourself and you reframe it into love your neighbor and hate your enemy, it means that it's up to you to decide who your neighbor is and who your enemy is. If it's your neighbor, you try and love. If it's somebody you like. If it's somebody who is in your good books, you treat the person well. But if there's somebody who doesn't agree with you, who doesn't like the way you do your things, who doesn't flow with the way you're doing things, that person becomes your enemy. And as for that person, hate him. And so Jesus spoke against that thing and says, you have heard the Lord say that love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. So, this man wanted to justify himself and that is why he asked the question, who is my neighbor? 
You know, obviously Jesus knew that this guy was trying to pick a fight and a quarrel. He knew. He knew that his intentions were not noble. Because Jesus was both man and God. And he knew the motives. What was in the heart in the hearts of people. He could have decided at this point to just ignore this guy. Because it was clear that everything that he had said to him, he couldn't really understand what he was trying to get him to, to see. So Jesus could have decided that, no, this guy won't waste my time with him. But he was very patient with him. He had compassion for him. And he decided to tell him a story to help him to understand. When we talk about loving the Lord with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your might. And when we talk about loving your neighbor as yourself. He wanted to help him to understand what it actually means. And then he, was, he wanted to tell him this parable and use it as a mirror for this man to look into and see that if this is what I have to do in order to have eternal life, then I will never have eternal life. Something else would have to be done for me. He wanted this guy to see this very clearly and that is why he told him the story. He could just have ignored him. But by telling him the story, he demonstrated even what he was going to talk about. He demonstrated love for the guy. Hallelujah. And it's interesting that this guy, you see, he gave two answers about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind. And then loving your neighbor as yourself. Now, when Jesus said right, it's surprising that he didn't talk about the first one. He just focused on the second law that talked about loving your neighbor as yourself. And it just goes to prove that he was up to mischief and he was trying to set Jesus up. But Jesus was very patient with him. And I want to say to us that we must be patient with people. People who are some way. People who miss it. People who have bad intentions. People who, 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 are, who do wrong things. We must be patient with them. Because this was Jesus. Very patient with this guy. So now to help him, he tells him the story of the good Samaritan. So it ran like this. Jesus replied with a story. So he talks about a Jewish man who was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now that road from Jerusalem to Jericho is still there up till today. And if you visit Israel and you are interested, they can take you on this very road that this guy traveled on. One day we'll go to Israel together. Amen. Yeah. It may sound like a joke, but it will happen by the grace of God. It is an actual road that exists. And in Jesus' time, it was a very dangerous road. Jerusalem was on top of a hill. There are actually seven hills that Jerusalem is built on. And to move from Jerusalem to Jericho, you are going down the hill. And the road, as is the case with roads on mountains and hills... It's a windy road. It's not an easy road to travel on. Because you are descending. And then the road is also winding, winding, winding. Now, that journey from Jerusalem to Jericho was about 17 miles. Of a windy road in very dangerous terrain. And along the road, there are caves. And big boulders that thieves and robbers hide in or hide behind in wait for anybody that they could pounce on and rob. This was the road that this guy was traveling on. And I believe that it was a time 
when there wasn't a lot of traffic on that road. Usually when they are having their feasts, they will go to Jerusalem and then come back. So usually during the times of their feast, there's a lot of traffic on that road. You see a lot of people. But when the weather is very hot or when it is very cold, you are not likely to find a lot of people on that road. And this Jewish guy was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho and unfortunately for him, he was attacked by armed robbers. Now these guys were very wicked. They took off his clothes. Took everything that he had. And then they beat him. They, they really, really beat him. The Bible says they left him half dead. Beside the road. That means that he was but a step to death. And they left him there. <laughs> Alright. Is that the road? Good, good. You guys are doing well. You guys are doing well. Look, look, look at this. Very dangerous road. So you can see the hills and there are caves there that people can hide in. And just look at the side of the road. If you don't take care, you will fall down into the valley. And this was the road that this guy was traveling on. And the thieves caught him. They beat him well, well, well. And they left him for half dead. And then something interesting happened. First, a priest came along. And when he saw the man, you see, when the Bible talked about a priest coming along, the feeling that, stared, that, that will be stirred up inside. Let's imagine that the guy was conscious enough to see that this is a priest. And you can see a priest. I mean, when he's coming, he's wearing his priestly garments. And all. So maybe his eyes were half open. I mean, the way he was half dead, it's also possible that his eyes were half open. And you could see the priest. I can imagine the hope that filled his heart. Because this is a man of God. This is who? Man of God. This is somebody who is supposed to be full of love and compassion and kindness. Somebody who occupies an office where you're supposed to help people. So perhaps when he saw this guy, he was filled with a lot of hope that help has come. I will yet be saved. But the Bible says that when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. This was who? The priest. Nyaminipa. The man of God. I can imagine how the guy's heart sank. A few moments after, next verse, a temple assistant also came along, a Levite. This is also a junior Nyaminipa. Because Nyaminipa, I'm sure if you have heard, is a senior prophet and then <laughs> and then a prophet. Do you see? Yeah. So this was, okay, you can call this guy a boy of God. So the first one was a man of God. Then along the line, a boy of God also appeared on the scene. Now he too, now he did something very interesting. He actually walked <laughs> to look at the guy. And maybe he said, oh, oh, Kafra. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, we pra. Eya oyawe hu. Kose 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 kose. Now the way it is, no. I I, I can't I can't do anything for you because I'm also not sure why you are in this situation that you find. You must be a bad person. How do I know that somebody is, setting a, is not setting a trap for me? I can't help you. Besides, when I look at you, you are almost dead. If I try and help you and you die, somebody will come and say that I have killed you. 
there are a lot of reasons why we do not do the good that we are supposed to do. And we use those reasons to justify ourselves. He actually went to look at the guy and then he walked away. Now, the two people who should have had compassion for the guy, they did not mind him. And there is a law that actually requires that we should help foreigners. We should help strangers. We should help one another. And we should love them. Alright? We are actually supposed to do that. God is expecting us. It's just captured in that. Love your neighbor as yourself. So in, in, the, in the situation that played out. What God was expecting. Was that. You should put yourself. In the shoes. Of this guy. Who had been attacked by robbers. And ask yourself. If I were this guy. What will I want to be done for me? And then what you would like to be done for you is what you must do for that guy. That's what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. But that's not what happened. They left him. Then finally, who came by? The Bible says a despised Samaritan. And he it was who had compassion on the man. And the Bible is clear and reveals to us that this Samaritan was despised. You see, you have to understand that Samaritans and pure Jews are like cousins. But Samaritans are like half-castes or half-breed. They are half Jew and then their other half is from some of the other Gentile nations or communities that God had given an instruction that his people should not mingle with. But what happened was that when they were carried into captivity round about 780 something B.C by the Assyrian armies. This was particularly for the northern kingdom because the kingdom of the, the, the people of Israel were split into two groups, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was made up of 10 tribes. The southern kingdom was made up of two tribes, the tribe of Judah, the tribe of Benjamin. Now, the northern kingdom w- was attacked by the Assyrians and the Assyrian armies came to carry most of the people into captivity. Now, they left some of the people, probably those who were able to run away to hide. So, after their brothers were carried away, they came back. And what the Assyrian people did was that they left in the land people from other places, other Gentile communities. They left them there. So, when the people of Israel came back, they met with these people and they started to intermingle with them. They married them, had their children with them and all of that. That's how come That's how we got the Samaritans. And they despised each other. The Jews felt that the Samaritans were were not pure. And so they treated them with a lot of contempt. And the Samaritans felt that the Jews were too known. And were very some way. So they did not like each other. That's what played out at the well. When Jesus asked the Samaritan woman for water to drink. The woman was shocked. That you, a Jew, you are asking me a Samaritan for water. Why? It's not possible. I can't relate with you. You don't respect me. You despise me. You've rejected my people and you're asking me for water. It's it's a very, you know, unfortunate request that you're making at this time. So they despised each other. Now, it was a despised Samaritan who came along and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. He felt compassion for him. He didn't think about his own safety. 
but he got down, next verse, and then he attended to the guy. He soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. And you have to understand that in those times, wine, you, you know wine has alcohol in it, so it's like an antiseptic. So you use it to clean wounds, to prevent an infection. And then the oil has healing properties. Oil is used to soothe the skin. is used to repair broken skin. That is why when you go for a massage, they use oil. Because it works on the skin. And one of the things that the oil also does when you have a sore or a wound is that it, it helps to close up the sore or the wound so that it doesn't become infected. Now, this man, he had oil and wine that were for his own use. But he used them to clean up this guy and he bandaged him up. And although the scripture doesn't say so here, you remember that the thieves, they took away all his clothes. So it meant that this guy must have put clothes on him as well. So he used the oil that he was going to use to cook anwamo. He used it for the guy. The wine that he was going to use to check his how far, he used it on the guy. His clothes, he put them on the guy. Then he put the guy on his own donkey. So the, the man was on the donkey and he was walking alongside. And he took him to a guest house. And he stayed with him all night. Because it was the next day. Look at the next verse. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins. So it means that through the night, he was there with the guy. Attending to him. As if that was not enough. The following morning, he gave the innkeeper two silver coins. That is actually two denarii. One is denarium and two is denarii. And in those times, the money that he left, it can pay for your lodging at a regular guest house for two months. That's how much money he left. Two months rent, he left there. And he told the guy, the innkeeper, that I have to go away. Take care of this man. And if his bill runs higher than this, when I come the next time, I'm going to sort you out. I mean, this is love. This is selflessness. This is compassion. This is feeling. This is the story of the good Samaritan. And after Jesus had narrated this, he asked the expert in the religious law that, so, of the three people who appeared on the scene, who was neighbor to the guy? And he answered, of course. It's the third guy. The despised Samaritan. And then Jesus told him, go and do likewise. That ended the encounter. And we don't hear of this guy again. Obviously, he didn't really understand what Jesus was trying to get him to see. Which is the central decisive point of the parable. You see, this thing, I mean, ask yourself. Now, let's do some soul searching as we close. Ask yourself that if you were traveling along a lonely road and you saw somebody lying on the side of the road, hurt, bleeding, and everything, would you have stopped to attend to the guy? What is the answer? All of you should answer. What is the answer? No. So if you are sitting here and you are thinking that the priest and the Levite, very wicked guys, you have condemned yourself. And that is what it is. They were supposed to show love and compassion, but they didn't show it. 
They were supposed to treat this guy as a neighbor and show him love, but they didn't. And the reaction of the priest and the Levite reveals how we are and also reveals something very important. That the law that God has given and the commandment to love him and to love our neighbor, we cannot obey it. And if we can't obey it, it means that we cannot have eternal life. That's how bad the situation is. But the good news is that the story doesn't end there. The good Samaritan is a type of Jesus Christ our Lord. And Jesus Christ did not just give us oil and wine and clothes to wear. What he actually did was to sacrifice his life for us. And so in Romans chapter 5 verse 5 to 8 what does it say there as I close? And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us. Because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. So Christians, God has actually given his Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with love. But when I asked you the question, the answer you gave me was that if you meet somebody along the road, it is not likely that you will help that person. Even you, whom God has filled your heart with love. So as he said in my hometown, it's bad. It doesn't work. It goes on to say, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Utterly helpless, like this guy who was lying, who was attacked by robbers and was lying. He was helpless. And say, Christ came just at the right time. That's the good Samaritan. Then it goes on to say, now, most people will not be willing to die for an upright person. Though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. Verse 8. But God, everybody say, but God. Say it again, but God. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And the good Samaritan typifies our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Jesus told the story and I'm repeating it's not to teach us to help the less privileged in society or to be kind to strangers. That is not the import of the story. He gave this parable to make us see that Charlie, this thing about loving God and loving our neighbor as a way to entering into eternal life we cannot satisfy it. We cannot meet the demands. The standard is too high. We can't do it. And the law cannot save any of us. Because we cannot fulfill the law. So he gave this parable to make us see how helpless we are and how hopeless our situation is. And the intention is to help us to now reach out to Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and confess to him that we can't do it by ourselves. And then rely on the sacrifice that he paid or he made on the cross of Calvary for our sake. He took our place. He died in our place so that we could have life. So that the eternal life that the Lord promised to give. The law that we couldn't obey and satisfy. That eternal life, Jesus made available to us. And he makes it available to us if we can receive him as Lord and Savior and tell him that thank you for dying for us. Thank you for taking our place on the cross. Thank you for shedding your blood for us. Thank you that you are the one who fulfilled the law. You obeyed it in every point, in every bit of it. And we are benefiting from what you did so eternal life is not by works it's not by good works it is not by earnest effort it is a gift from god a gift that you receive and benefit from if you can acknowledge and say that i failed i'm a sinner i can't do everything that god says i should do but jesus has already sorted things out and so i trust in him I believe in him and I'm benefiting of the, from the work that he has done. And this eternal life that the Lord promised me, 
that because of my failure to obey the law, I can't have. Now I can have it by believing in Jesus and his atoning work on the cross of Calvary. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the parable of the good Samaritan. Rise to your feet and let us close. Thank you, Father, for tonight. And thank you for what we've learned today. And thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for us while we were yet sinners. Thank you for saving us from eternal damnation. You knew, Father, that yes, you had given us the law, but we were not going to be able to meet that law, the demands of the law, and to satisfy them and do everything that the law requires of us. So you gave the law, but you also made provision for Jesus. And at the right time, you sent him to die for us. We say thank you, Father, for giving us your son. And thank you, Father, for paving the way into your presence. Through Jesus Christ, who became the way, the truth, and the life. By whom we can come unto the Father. Thank you, Father, that he paid the debt that he did not owe. That he settled the debt that we owed that we could not pay. Thank you that he is that good Samaritan who came to us at the right time and helped us and saved us so that now we can have life and have it more abundantly. We are grateful to you, Father, and we say thank you in Jesus' mighty name. And all shall say amen. Clap your hands unto the Lord. Bless Jesus. Thank you for listening to The Shepherd's Voice with Pastor Johnny Awanyo. We do hope that you were greatly blessed. For further inquiries, please call, WhatsApp, or send an SMS text to plus 233-243-886-622. God bless you.